We're going to start, um, let's go ahead to verse 9, Exodus 32, verse 9, and we're picking this up, verse 9, God is going to be speaking here, and it's just after the golden calf incident, and if you're not familiar with it, um, Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from God. He was up there a little while, and the people got into all sorts of trouble in a very quick time to the extent that God, who had just rescued them from Egypt, the living God, the true God, they went back to worshiping a false God, created uh, the, the golden calf. They would have got the idea from the Egyptians In light of that incident, we start with verse 9. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Then we're going to jump to verse 31 of chapter 32. 31 and 32. So Moses went back to the Lord And said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Then, chapter 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do everything you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, 
but my face must not be seen. That's God's word for us tonight. So we've been looking at at prayers of God's people from the Old Testament. And really, the hope, of course, in a series like this is that these prayers from God's word would really inform and enrich our own prayer life, right? Prayer is so vital for the Christian. You know, Martin Luther discovered in his life and shares this with us, if I should neglect prayer but a single day, I should lose a great deal of the fire of the faith. So if we're not feeling the fire, if we're not feeling a passion for the Lord, well, there could be any, any number of factors, but, but first, look to the health of your prayer life. If your prayer life's not where it should be, get that on track first and, and just see the difference that, that that will make. Prayer makes a critical difference in, in our own hearts and lives. It makes a difference as we look at others around us too, as we seek to love our neighbor as Christ himself loved us. William Law said, there's nothing that makes us love a man so much as prayer for him. You're praying for someone, you're, you're going to love them. And prayer, I really think it's the number one thing Christians can do to make a difference in this world. We talk about wanting to make a difference, to to serve, to reach the lost. Prayer, number one for our impact in the world. Sidlow Baxter famously said, Men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, all of which is more true than ever before today, but they are helpless against our prayers. This conversation between Moses and God shows us three aspects of prayer. They relate to our own relationship with God. They relate also to how we look at others, how we look out on the world, I think. And I think, as I was looking at these, that I think these are three aspects of prayer that we may miss. And you might doubt that that's possible. How could we be missing, uh, to a great extent, three types of prayers? Well, listen to the sermon and see what you think. See if you agree. You may also doubt that we should use Moses' conversation with God We see how it ends up. I mean, this is powerful stuff. You might doubt that we should use this conversation as a template for our prayers at all because he's Moses, and he has a very special place in salvation history. That becomes really clear in our verses. His role is as uh, the mediator between God and the people. And in that role... He's a type of Christ, a type of Jesus in the Old Testament. He points us to Jesus and Jesus' role in his work. Well, Moses made mistakes. We know that as things go on. He wasn't perfect. Christ alone is our true example. But in the ways that Moses represented Christ, he becomes our example too. Now, I think of another prominent example. Old Testament figure like Daniel later in the Old Testament. We, 
like Daniel, we see in Moses evidence of the spirit of Jesus Christ. That's what's going on with Moses. It's the spirit of Jesus himself. We were on the other side of the cross of Calvary. We've been given the spirit of Christ, and, and we're called to give evidence of him within us. So insofar as Moses displays the spirit of Christ who would be coming, right, we also are to display the spirit of Jesus who has come. So three aspects to this conversation with God that I think we do well to pay attention to. Prayers perhaps not prayed enough by us. The first prayer, not prayed enough by us, is a prayer for God's honor. Uh, We might call this a prayer for God's justice, kind of similar thing. And, And to be honest, in our verses, it's more of a care and concern for God's honor than a specific prayer. But this care that Moses had should certainly inform our prayers. Uh, We read about uh, the Levites killing, and actually, I'm trying to think, did we read about the Levites killing 3,000 Israelites? That might be one of the things I skipped over. I was trying to figure out what parts could I leave out? And maybe that's one of them. I don't think, I don't remember reading that. If I did read it and forgot already, then just ignore that I'm totally forgetting that. But Moses, after he talks to God, looks down, sees what happens, goes down and commands that the Levites kill 3,000 Israelites. 3,000 of the people. Four worshiping this golden calf for building it and and dancing around it. And it it seems totally barbaric. What is going on? How can that be justified? How is that in any sense acceptable or okay? Well, there's there's a great Old Testament teacher named Meredith Klein. He used to teach at Westminster Seminary. Um, He calls this an example and, and listen, listen to, the, to the words, and I'll explain it. End time intrusion ethics. And this means that this en- incident points to the end time judgment of God. And there are times in Scripture when this happens at God's direct command. It doesn't mean that we would ever initiate a slaughter like this. You know, there's no such thing as a Christian version of jihad or something like that. Something along these lines could ever only be led directly by God. And and so that explains our horror at 3,000 Israelites being being slaughtered. It's supposed to be horrible. We're supposed to be horrified. It's a picture of the judgment that will come at the end of time to those who don't belong to the Lord. This shows us the seriousness of rejecting the Lord. There's someone else who explains it this way. Perhaps we're horrified about this command because of our too casual approach to the faith. Because of our too casual approach to sin. We don't really get how seriously God treats sin. Our values aren't what they're supposed to be. To Moses, the bloodshed was a just 
and right response to the people's sin. Today, do we maybe take sin and the holiness of God so lightly that we think disobedience does not deserve death? You know, these people were delivered from Egypt by God. He sent those ten plagues, all miracles. He opened up the Red Sea, led them by his very presence with a pillar of cloud, uh, with, with the fire. He revealed himself as the only true God. I am who I am, he said to Moses in the bush, the eternal one. And after all of this, in almost no time at all, The Israelites forgot him, and they fell back into false worship, into idolatry. Their ingratitude, their blasphemy, their fickleness, it just appalled Moses, the servant of God. Another piece that we didn't read, he came down and he he commanded the slaughter of those 3,000. He also came down, and, and you might remember this, Uh, He broke those stone tablets. He smashed them to the ground as he's coming down from the mountain. Well, what was that all about? I don't think Moses was sinning there. I don't think he was just a little, got a little, temper got a little hot. This was a righteous anger. This was someone who knew the holiness of God and was just shocked at how the people thumbed their noses at him. The breaking of the tablets was a picture of exactly What should have happened to all the people, not just 3,000? They deserved for God to break the covenant with them because they broke their covenant relationship with God. Do we have this kind of care and concern that translates into our prayers? Prayer for the honor of our God, disgust that people would turn back on their Creator and rebel against their heavenly Father? Do we have a righteous anger that people, instead of the true God, choose the golden calves of today, like sex and power and, and money and, and what Pastor Matthew talked about today, the God of our, of our own happiness and comforts that determines how we spend our time and our money? Where's our grief for this? Where's the outrage Where's our defense for God and his honor in the midst of defiance against him? Where's our prophetic word about the the real consequences of sin? Right? And what about when we ourselves sin? Are you cut to the heart? Do we really understand what we're doing? I've mentioned this before, I think, but my dad's mentor in ministry uh, was Dr. Alexander DeYoung. Doc, we called him. He was one of the first presidents of Trinity Christian College down there in Palos Heights. Wonderful man. To get at, to get home for people, the seriousness of our sin, he, he would sometimes in sermons say that when we sin, when we choose disobedience, it's like looking at the cross and saying nuts to you. Nuts to you. We would never, ever want to think that, let alone say that about Jesus and his sacrifice. It would be horrible, but in a sense, that's exactly what we're doing every time we sin. 
It's exactly what we're doing. And so in prayer, we've got to grasp the seriousness of sin. I mean, sin is so serious that it, it took the perfectly holy and righteous Son of God being crucified to take care of it. It was the only thing. Do we get it? We get that. The honor of our God. And we look at the sins of our world. And we see things that are, are so wrong. I think one place our prayers turn is, is that they become prayers that, that are saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I think that should be in our prayers. That's, that's what the saints in Revelation prayed. Come quickly. We pray for him to come so that sin and evil would be vanquished once and for all. We pray for Christ's coming to set things right. Come in your justice, Lord. Defend your honor once and for all at all these people who, who thumb their noses at you. At the same time, we have another type of prayer here. It seems contradictory to all this, but of course it isn't. In the midst of this prayer for God's honor and being grieved when his justice is affronted, Moses is full of compassion for the sinful people. It's a prayer of compassion, too. Moses was outraged, but you know what? He loved those people yet, didn't he? God had an idea. We read it in verse 10. Basically, he's saying, let's destroy these sinful people. You know, why or how he's having a conversation with Moses about this or running it by Moses, that's a whole other question we're not going to get into, but it's, it's a very interesting conversation with them. I think some of it has to do with Moses as a type of Christ here. But God has this idea, he's suggesting, Let, you know, let's destroy these sinful people and, and we'll start over with you, Moses, and obviously his family, and, and we'll make you into a great nation. Ooh, what a temptation for Moses. It would have been a relief for him to finally be done with these wretched, difficult people. But from what we can tell, Moses didn't entertain that idea for even a second. It's because his heart was full of compassion for the people. He reminds God of his covenant promises. You notice he says, remember, it always is remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Not Jacob, Israel. Well, we, we had that actually last week, Sunday night, in, in, with Jacob wrestling with God. Uh, God gave Jacob the name Israel. Israel was Jacob's covenant name that he received after they wrestled. So, Reminding God of the covenant. And, and in this compassion, of course, Moses also displays the spirit of Jesus. I think that we struggle with truly understanding the gravity of sin out there in our own hearts in our prayer life. But I also think we struggle with truly having compassion for sinful people. I think we tend to have little patience. I think of maybe, you know, we think about those who don't attend church as much as we do maybe. Uh, maybe those who aren't, aren't tithing when people don't step up to volunteer and serve in the church like we think they should. When, when people fall into sin, 
make certain lifestyle choices. And these are all very important matters in our life. Worship, serving, giving, what we do with our time. But if people are falling short, if people are straying, the call is compassion. And we tend to be pretty harsh. And we don't ignore sin if there's sin. Moses did not ignore the sin. But he wanted God to have mercy. He loved those people. He loved them enough to give up his own life for them, he said. Do we love people? Do we love the people? Do we pray for God's mercy for people in the church and in our world too? My own selfish tendency might be uh, to take God up on his offer to to wipe out the rest and, and start over with my family. Might be your tendency too on your own. Then that, that verse in 2 Peter 2, 9 comes to mind. And it says, God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. God wants it. Is that our heart? We pray for God's mercy to change people. We don't relish judgment to come upon them. We pray, Lord, give people enough time to come to faith. Lord, Come soon, come quickly, set things right, but not before all your people have turned to you. Give time for as many as possible to be saved. There's one final piece to Moses' prayer that I also wonder how much we pray, and that's this prayer to see the glory of God. And this is Uh, Verse 18 of chapter 33, it's powerful. He says, show me your glory. Show me your glory, God. When have you last prayed that one? What does it even mean? Well, first off, we see Moses overreached here. God's like, you're trying to bite off a little more than you can chew here, buddy. Verse 20, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Moses was able, in the end, only to hear God's voice and see God's back because he was a sinful man. And in this side of heaven, uh, one person puts it this way, we can't have communion with God face to face, but rather that communion happens through faith in his word. Through faith in his word. But one day... What we see dimly now, we will see clearly, the Bible says. Moses uh, came, I think, as close as any sinful human being ever has to that face-to-face. Do we pray that God would show us his glory today? As much of it as human beings are allowed to experience before we hit heaven. And and what what are we asking for, really, in that prayer? The best description that I've heard to explain, you know, the glory of God is to understand it as all of his attributes together, all of his characteristics, we call those God's attributes, that all of his attributes, who he is, be manifest, be known in our lives and in this world. And and so that would mean his love, his holiness, his mercy, his righteousness, his justice, his patience, his kindness. In God's glory, 
those two seemingly opposed prayers come together. Prayer for God's justice and honor and prayer for his compassion and mercy too. It's praying, Lord, it's all in your hands. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. Let your name be hallowed in my life and in this day and age. Our prayers... Even these three types of prayer are only possible in Jesus' name because of his work. He's the perfect mediator. He goes between a sinful people like us and a holy God. His finished work on the cross, his resurrection, bridged the gap. He is our covenant keeper, our representative. He's the great high priest who brings all our prayers to God. Moses, uh, I'm not sure if it was in our verses or other verses, he's described as being in the glory cloud on Sinai. Moses, in the glory cloud on Sinai, points to a greater than Moses. A cloud received him, our Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, and he sent his spirit from there to fill his people. And that spirit of Christ within us makes us yearn for that fellowship through prayer with the Father. When we think about prayer, uh, we talk about those categories of prayer that are really helpful, I think. You know, acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplications. We bring God our needs. We give him our thanks and adoration. We ask for forgiveness from our sins. But what, what about these other, these three prayers we saw today? Are they rare in your life, or are you praying them? May we pray for God's honor in the face of sin and evil in our own hearts and lives and in this world. May it grieve us. May we get the seriousness of rebelling against the God of the universe and tremble as we think about the consequences. May we have compassion that God would be merciful to sinners, save many, work irresistibly to call all his children to himself. May we have a love for people that Christ himself has. And may we pray, show me your glory. Lord, show me your glory in my life, in the church, even in faith church today, that we would know our God more, that we would see him for who he is in all of his perfection and glory and beauty, as much, Lord, as you would give me of yourself this side of heaven. This is big stuff. Prayer is not sort of just an appendix to the Christian life, is it? It's absolutely vital. I want to read a couple verses from a hymn in our hymnal, in the blue hymnal. Prayer is the soul's sincere desire, unuttered or expressed, the motion of a hidden fire that trembles in the breast. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air, his watchword at the gates of death. He enters heaven with prayer. O thou by whom we come to God, the life, the truth, the way, the path of prayer thyself hast trod. Lord, teach us how to pray. May God keep drawing us to himself 
And may we grow as a people of prayer, drawing near to him. Amen, people of God?